Mrs. Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with My Life and Dancing, written by Maud Allen and published in 1908 by Paul R. Reynolds. Chapter 7 I have had many sorrows in my short life, sorrows too great and deep to mention in this little volume, and they, I feel, have been the keynote to stirring my soul from its childish sleep and making my every fibre quiver in the softest wind of sentiment and my soul and spirit sigh for the truth of existence. An episode in my life has left its deep imprint upon my work and caused me to throw myself deeper into my studies thus influencing greatly the turn and development of my mind. Soon after the close of this episode in my life, I had, as I have already mentioned, the extreme good fortune to meet and soon to count as one of my friends that very clever man, Marcel Remy. It was after a concert given by my old master and friend Busoni that I mentioned my ideas about dancing to Marcel Remy, the Belgian composer and musical critic. This was in Berlin, and Berlin does not lend itself like Weimar with its quiet old world squares to Hopla and Cat and Mouse. But the supper at the cooperative that followed the concert, with Busoni and his wife for host and hostess, their more intimate friends gathered about them, art, literature, and music represented, was delightfully free from the stiff academic spirit which I confess to disliking most cordially. Spontaneity was the order of the evening. I spoke of my idea, my ambition, dancing as an art of poetical and musical expression to Marcel Remy, But please do not think that I was under the impression that I had given birth to a new idea. It was, if not as old as the hills, old. There is an attic vase, probably molded six hundred years or more before the Christian era. The ancient Greek writing upon it says that the vase is to be given as a prize to the dancer who expresses joyousness most vividly. Marcel Remy was deeply interested at once. As well as being a musician, he was a savant, a Greek scholar. It was a happy inspiration to confide in him. The sculptor, the artist, and the man of learning range more widely in quest of subject than the musician pure and simple. Remy spoke of dancing in the true Hellenic spirit as a dead and forgotten art of the unending possibilities open to one who should endeavor to recreate a lost art of expression. His encouraging words were as fuel to fire. Very generously and wholeheartedly, he offered to assist me in the matter of research. So I came to have the assistance of one who was not only scholar and critic, but artist 
to his fingertips. After that I worked, 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 harder than ever, not drudgery nor mechanical, but work, and very hard work at that. I cannot help smiling. Only a short while ago I received at the Palace Theatre a letter from one of my own sex. It was to the effect that, as my life was just one round of pleasure and applause and ease, and hers one of hard toil, cooking, mending, and getting hot and growing weary over the wash-tub, it was only right that I, who made money with no more exertion than a fluttering butterfly, should send to her, a real worker, a substantial sum of money. It rather reminded me of the story of the dentist who wrote to a well-known actor asking for a couple of stalls, on the ground that, though not being personally acquainted with the actor himself, he had the pleasure of extracting a couple of his brother's teeth. Another of my correspondents wrote more laconically, but probably possessed by the same butterfly theory of my existence, and requested thirty pounds, by return of post if possible. In fact, it was a demand rather than a request. But my correspondence is not all in this strain, and presently I shall return to the subject. I mention it here because a portion of it reveals the impression in some quarters that whatever success I may have achieved had been obtained by a kind of floating, airy, effortless, butterfly kind of process. I have worked, and still continue to work and study, quite apart from the physical and mental strain of public performances, very, very hard. The days that followed my conversation with Marcel Remy were days of research and experiment, delving among libraries for old pictures and studying pose on some ancient vase, jar, or amphora in the museums, with Remy's great knowledge for my guide on what is best termed orchestric subjects. It was not a case of rapid achievement by any means. It was not sufficient to master a pose in its significance and rest content with that. Nothing was more difficult than to weave harmonious musical connection between the different poses so that there should be no break, so that there should be nothing to mar the rhythmic sense of continuous harmonious expression. It was my endeavor to disperse rhythm harmoniously to the tips of fingers and toes. There was no time now for other work. The die was cast. So I left the Royal High School of Music with recommendations from my masters, where it had been my privilege to meet and know, among others, that noble and great artist, Josef Joachim, and the great composer Johannes Brahms. I remember how the former often listened to me play when a student at the academy and patted me on the head in his ever kindly way when I had done well. So when working out my new ideas, it was no wonder I longed for a word of recognition from him. He never repulsed me when I pressed upon him some of my ideas. He would smile ever so sweetly and look long and silently at me, and I have often wondered just what he thought. When I returned after an extensive tour to Berlin to give a dance recital at my old Royal Academy, 
with all my old professors and Joachim as my judges, I felt a joy indescribable. I submitted my program to him, and he called me aside and said, Little girl, you may dance anything you like, but, dear child, please don't dance my Beethoven. I understood him so well, for had he not given to the world the very best interpretations of this glorious master's work and made them quite a part of himself? I crossed the moonlight sonata from my program that night for his sake. I would not play upon the wrong chords in the heart of so great and good a man. Joachim later said to me, "'You have done wonders in your work, my child. Where did you get such ideas?' "'You mean,' I asked, "'where did I conceive the idea of turning big themes into movement?' He nodded. "'You remember I told you my thoughts when watching Sarah Bernhardt?' "'Yes.' "'Then once when studying Botticelli's spring, "'a picture to me so vivid and beautiful "'that I could not gaze upon it without emotion, "'a thought impressed itself upon me.' If I could only bring these beautiful women to life again, it would be something for my world to be proud of. Joachim looked me over from head to foot, and then said slowly, And you have done it. I took his hand, for the compliment was greater than I had hoped to hear from his lips. He said the words haltingly, but as if he meant them. I do not pretend, I said, still holding his hand, to be as beautiful as the pictured women yet, that would be hoping too much, but I have done the best I could at any rate. Your best, were his final hearty words, gives your friends hopes for your future. So spoke great men to me, urging me onward until I felt that by the wishes that filled the air all about me, I should be helped on to the end of my ambitions. Soon after the meeting with M. Remy and the divulging of my secret and heart's desire to him, my dear mother returned to America. How I missed her, no one will ever know. I was again alone to see after myself. If there is one thing I do love, it is to be babied, and this my mother has done ever since I can remember. Now I had to shift for myself, and it did seem hard. My first dancing dress, the one I used for practicing, was the gift of an American artist, a friend and painter to whom one day I told my aspirations. I hope I shall not appear disloyal to my sex when I say that my ambitions and aspirations have always seemed to me to have been better understood by men than women. I have received the greater artistic encouragement and understanding from them, and I do not think the reason is found in the words, sometimes accompanied by a little sneer, Oh, yes, of course, you're a woman. It was one of my own sex, a nameless princess in a nameless city, who threatened to withdraw her patronage from a certain opera house if a young person with naked feet were allowed to dance there. There was a romance about my first dancing dress, it hailed from Greece, and was perhaps two hundred years old, having once been the undergarment of some Greek peasant maiden. It was of cotton, and as simple as it was, clinging and graceful, and light as it was, almost curiously warm. This I used for practicing. 
but I was also studying dresses as well as pose in the museums and libraries. The Melpomene in the old museum, Berlin, furnished the model for the sandals that I subsequently wore in some of my religious numbers, numbers that were more suited to a small than a large public audience. I used buttercloth for the dresses that I designed and made myself, if made be the right word for what was really an arrangement of draperies and clasps and girdles, with an eye to soft folds and undulating lines. Very exquisite folds may be obtained by damping the material, rolling it up tightly, and keeping it thus for some while. So, with studying, designing, experimenting, and striving to attain continuous musical expression, spreading from the fountain thought in a kind of wave over the body to fingertips and toes, and rhythmical equilibrium, my time was very completely filled. Sometimes I would dance without music. At others, Marcel Remy would come to my study. He possessed the gift of improvisation. I would obey my impulses and try to interpret whatever he might play. At other times, I would try to give expression to some piece by Bach, Beethoven, Schubert, or Schumann. Art is long, and not the butterfly effortless business some people seem to think it is. It was in 1900 that the idea crystallized before Botticelli's spring in Florence, and it was not until 1903 that I gave my first performance in Vienna. It was at the theater hall of the Royal Conservatoire of Music, Vienna. My feelings can be more easily imagined than described. Before me was a two-hours program, the interpretation and orchestric expression in dance of pieces by Bach, Beethoven, Schubert, and Schumann to the accompaniment partly of orchestra and partly of grand piano, and an audience composed of distinguished people, artists, musicians, and critics. Many thoughts crowded upon me. Pictures jumped up haphazard before my eyes. Memories of places I had visited, some scene, Italian women barefoot, filling past, the copper bowls on their heads flashing in the sunshine, the memory of a storm, of water splashing with the sound of elfin feet against a cabin door. It was a most composite, jumbled crowd of thoughts, many of them seemingly quite inconsequent. And the great question of success or failure, of the difference between being understood and misunderstood. I do not think in that brief eternity of time before my first public appearance that my craving and anxiety were for personal success. But the art that I loved, at which I had worked with all the power in me, was about to be submitted to judgment. What if it should be misunderstood? That to me would have been bitterness itself. Marcel Remy, whose great interest in my work meant so much to me, is now dead. Dead. I can never believe it. His body may rest in God's earth, but his soul lives, and I feel sure he knows of my progress and rejoices in it. I seem still to feel his superior influence. Often, when about to put into form some new ideas, I feel, Halt! 
That is not as M. Remy would have judged the theme. Think again. It is wonderful, the lasting influence upon the mind of a really superior intellect. Some of the rare old books and engravings he left me, and a number of manuscripts, beautiful songs which he composed and dedicated to me, are among my dearest treasures. Of this man, who was a staunch friend, too, I shall always think in the deepest gratitude. I like to think that in his declining years it may have been a source of gratification to him to guide a young mind and open up in it an understanding for the greater and more important problems of life. I rejoiced, too, in being his pupil, and would fain give to him all the thanks of a grateful heart.' 